My name is Andy. I help people live life on purpose. This podcast explores the mystery, beauty, and complexity of life through conversations with an array of incredible practitioners, all of them working at the edge of what's possible for humanity. This is a place for big dreams, bold creativity, and fierce hope. Welcome to the Wonder Dome. If you're inspired by this conversation, and you'd like to see it reach more people, you can help the Wonder Dome take flight by sharing it with friends and colleagues, subscribing, giving us a high star rating, and best of all, leaving a glowing review. If you'd like to go even further, consider becoming a monthly supporter. You'll help me keep the lights on and support a wide range of charitable causes. You can learn more at mindfulcreative.coach. Thanks in advance for helping us inspire the world. My guests today are S.B. Roz and Eric Larson. I got to say, one of the coolest things about hosting a podcast is you have this wonderful excuse to invite the people you want to hang out with to come hang out, and you get to press record and share it with other people. S.B. and Eric uh, and I met several years ago. We're all coaches. We were all on varying parts of our journey into the profession, deepening, building our careers, building our businesses. And I immediately felt a deep resonance with both of them. Eric's actually already been on the Wonder Dome. We'll include a link to that, that past episode in the show notes. It was a really fun one where we tapped into questions of presence and purpose and how to stay anchored in these tumultuous times. And SB is a new arrival to the Dome, but feels like uh, an, old, an old friend to the space. She brings a wonderful depth of insight. And both of them, in, in combination with their expertise and experience, are just so gosh darn fun. Like, you'll hear me say that at the top of the conversation. I was really thinking about, why did I want to have SB and Eric come in? And the simplest answer is I really wanted... To, an hour of some fun, deep, rich conversation, and they delivered in spades. This is a, a real treat. If you listen in, you'll learn a lot. You'll probably laugh a bit. You'll probably sit with some big questions. You might occasionally throw your arms up in irritation <laughs> or perhaps enjoy. We'll see. And uh, at the end, Eric invites all of us into an experiment about resetting the frame of our lives. So I invite you to, to make sure you listen all the way to that and, and play along with us or play along in a way that feels right for you, wherever you are in this moment. I'll also include links to SB and Eric's um, information if you want to get more in touch with them and learn more about their journey. Uh, they both have beautiful stories, have done uh, a number of online essays and talks and just there's a lot to there's a lot more to to drink and imbibe if this conversation resonates with you so why don't we get settled in and hear what sb and eric have for us okay yes hi sb hi eric Eric, welcome back. SB, welcome to the Wonder Dome. Hello. So I was sitting with my own invitation that I gave both of you to connect to the intention or the possibility that, that got us all here. And the thing that I got really connected to is just, I really have fun with both of you. Really have fun. I was like, I just need some fun. And I'm coming off a tough couple of months. I think a lot of people in the world are, certainly mine is not nearly as tough as, as many out there in this complex, pretty difficult society and global system that we find ourselves in. But but nevertheless, it's been a tough couple of months for me. This is the first recording I'm doing uh, since, you know, in 2023, since I've been off on on parental leave and sick leave and yeah, like I'm really freaking excited to just have some fun with you too. <laughs> and maybe I'll just say one more thing. I'm I'm excited by that because both of you also hold so steady and beautifully with the the depth and the ambiguity and the suffering and the mystery of life and existence while also having lots of fun. 
And that, that, that those, those ways of being or ways of holding can just like, you can be deeply serious and deeply silly. And I just love that about both of you. So thank you for that. That's a delightful. I prefer, fool, I prefer foolish. Which is <laughs> He's very from- serious about which silly adjective you use. And I honor that foolish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's important. <laughs> yeah so maybe i'd I'd love to hear to the extent that you're in touch with it like why'd you say yes to this what what got what got each of you here and and uh just take a moment to sit with that and then maybe sb you can go first when you're oh ego definitely yeah like yeah you want to hear about me great let's do that (laughs) i want people to love me i want everyone to love me (laughs) please accept me oh my god um (laughs) uh yeah yes there's always going to be a component of ego i'm not going to pretend like that's not a part of the mix always um but there's something so delightful to me about about the curiosity that that you both also live in and that I also live in, right? And getting to to join together in a space where we get to share that curiosity with each other and whoever else might happen to listen, right? Um, yeah, and in the hopes that through the the listening and the connection, we all find more of ourselves, right? And mm. more acceptance of ourselves and more room for ourselves and especially our um, messy humanness. And for me, it's not even just about that the, the, the um, foolishness and the, the pain and seriousness can coexist, but that when I live into each of them more fully, there's more room for the other, right? That the more my heart breaks, the more capacity I have for love, mm. right? Mm. Um, and they need each other. So. Mm. Mm. Thank you. Yeah, that really lands with me. Eric, what's coming up for you? Nothing's cool as that. <laughs> Good. This is, by the way, we will do a reckoning at the end about who is yeah, the coolest in this conversation. So what you can't see is that we're arm wrestling. And- <laughs> you're a couple points behind, but I believe in you, man. I believe in you. Don't sell it. We've just begun. Don't sell yourself short. The episode where the Wonder Dome became a game show. <laughs> 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 Always uh, evolving, just letting the mystery <laughs> unfold. Yeah, and the immediate answer that came up, honestly, was the the company. And I think, I mean, SB, your mm. answer is that in some way too. So, I experience, uh, yeah, both of you in conversations that I've been in with both of you as places of yeah possibility instead of camped out in some perspective. I mean, I suppose we're all uh, not immune to that to some degree, but yeah, this get together and just sort of play on the monkey bars and dig in the sand and see what turns up. And that to me is just like, there's something written on my gravestone. I'd rather have it be something about exploring possibilities than Mm. like figured it out. Which is mm. Ridiculous. Mm. can you lean into that a little bit more like that's actually i know you're sort of playing like if i could have something in my gravestone but right like if we decide to have gravestones or someone who buries us decides to give us a gravestone something will be written on it and what what's important to you about this uh being being someone who's recognized who for standing in possibility as opposed to standing in correctness or answers or certainty. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just more true <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and mm. humbling just as a species be like, we, we don't know. I mean, we like, ultimately we don't, we don't know. Like we, we just don't. And that seems to me certain. <laughs> I'm certain that we don't, that we don't yeah. know. And, and I like to be, I like to just keep po- pointing at that. Like sit, I'm a coach sitting with coaching clients. They'll, you know, there's the, these moments and they're big. And I've learned this over time. I used to be like a glutton for the aha, like the aha, like that was the currency that, that like attracted me to, to doing that. And at some point 
and maybe I'm just reflecting on this for the first time now, at some point, like th- that's not that interesting to, to me anymore. The more interesting thing is like the aha. And then I, and then I kind of come in and subvert it and be like, and, but maybe not. Like that we just actually don't have. So in, in Buddhist Buddhism, they would call it like groundlessness. Hmm. Like it just isn't that's whatever ground you've just invented you know, you've just leapt from another certainty into a new aha that will now become the ground. Like, I can tell you what's going to happen to that. That's going to get pulled out, too. Not in like a, oh, like, <laughs> oh, shit always happens kind of way. <laughs> like, that's just, that's sort of the nature of things. So mm-hmm. to just, and it's not that I make it my responsibility to remind people that, that that's that that way but i think it's nice to be like oh, like let's just hold that lightly does that mm. answer the question it's beautiful know. yeah i'm i can't help so i studied philosophy in undergraduate and, and a lot of it was with the sort of the greek kind of classic philosophers and you know so, uh, socrates was quoted by by many of his students including plato the most famous there's like yeah you know i've talked to like politicians and poets and priests and you know, the, the, every person on the street and I've interacted with slaves and, and, and emperors. And the only difference I can get clear on is that I, I know that I don't know. <laughs> that seemed, that's like the only thing I'm pretty certain about is I know that I don't know. Mm-hmm. And from that place, I can move with curiosity and inquiry and actually, you know, without, without, uh, without sort of figuring it all out. It's like, here's the answer. I can nevertheless kind of go deeper into what is. So I'm hearing that kind of Socratic energy as well as the, you kind of talked about the Buddhist angle on it, but there's something Socratic about it too. Well, me and Socrates, we. You two hang, right? Bros. (laughs) So I want to point out meta, even that, like, even as you were speaking, I was like, how can I like, like Andy's making a, a nice point, like beautiful. Like, and but then I'm I was like, putting what can I poke a hole in it? <laughs> Afterwards. it? So I think Annie, when we spoke last time, we might've gotten into talking about stand-up comedy, but it's a perennial favorite topic of mine. And, and just the role of the comedian, who I think is sort of the, the fool as much as we have one now um, is to, is to do that version. Mm. Mm. And just so that we can never really find a place to stand. So we never let things settle or calcify or we never get too serious about who we think we are and we're always kind of subverting it and and i think that's the you know part of the the, the punchline is always like introducing something that this mm. just, just doesn't fit mm. uh, or it's, it takes a turn right mm-hmm. so um it's I, it's compulsive i'm doing it <laughs> <laughs> well it's welcome keep poking holes sb what's 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 coming up for you as you hear hear us play with this you know there's something so interesting to me about the dynamic between the unknowable and the certainty and that both always exist at the same time so i can be certain that i don't know right <clears throat> and i think you know a lot of what comes up in in my coaching practice with my clients as, as they're trying to figure out that intersection of the knowable and the unknowable and what that means for shaping their lives, Mm. right. Is about um, these sort of um, core aspects of self. I keep thinking about the golden Buddha. Do you all know the golden Buddha in Thailand? I don't know this one. Eric seems to, but Hey, I'm the host. So you get to tell it again. I don't care. All right. Well, (laughs) just like plug your ears for a second, Eric, and it'll be over (laughs) soon. Um, (laughs) So, so there's this, this enormous, this uh, nine and a half foot, five and a half ton sculpture in Bangkok. And it, they think it was created in the 13th or 14th century. And it had been in this sort of, you know, covered, but open structure for many centuries. And then in 1955, I think they, built this gigantic, uh, gigantic new building on the grounds of this uh, Buddhist monastery. And they go to rig up this gigantic, gigantic uh, sculpture to move it. And the rigging failed. 
and the sculpture fell. Now, at this point, the sculpture is plaster. It's got inlaid glass and inlaid mirror and like, boom. And I can see on your face, Andy, that you are feeling what I feel every time I, I get to that point in the story, which is like my stomach tenses. And I think about the workers and everybody who's involved in that and just the stomach aches and the panic that must have happened in that yeah. moment, right? As this, this enormous thing falls and fractures, <laughs> right? Cracks everywhere. As so they got their little flashlights is how I always imagine it, right? And they're shining flashlights into these cracks in the plaster to figure out the depth of the damage and et cetera, et cetera. And what they see in every crack is gold. And so carefully and slowly, they start peeling away all the plaster. And sure enough, this thing is five and a half tons of 18 karat gold. <laughs> yeah. So th now they're like, okay, how do we not know this? <laughs> Right? How did we not know this thing was entirely gold? And they start rolling back sort of the institutional memory, like where do we where do we lose this? Right? Like what? And in in the 18th century, there was a there was a war, there was an invasion of the country, and the monks at that time must have covered the gold with plaster to protect wow. the sculpture, right? So that it wouldn't get melted down or taken as spoils or whatever, right? And so this this story, I you know I didn't. Uh, I heard this story from Tara Brock on her podcast, right? As And I think the way she tells it is so gorgeous, right? That the awareness that this is what we do, right? Your children, Andy, like like a baby, you know, farts and giggles because there's, there's a relief that comes with that, right? And there's no shame built in yet. There's yeah. no like, oh, I'm not supposed to make smells like that, right? Yeah. <laughs> or sounds like that or whatever. Yeah. It's just, I had a tummy ache and something happened and it made a fun noise and now I feel better right? And they find their toes and they suck on them and there's delight there, right? And um, and all of this continues to exist in us. But as we experience the world, we, we layer on this plaster to protect our preciousness unconsciously, right? And then if we are lucky, the ruptures that we experience help us rediscover the gold, mm, mm, if we're lucky. Mm, mm. Wow. I'm so glad you made Eric listen to that story again. <laughs> <laughs> that uh and i just want to underline I, I actually noticed as you said the words fart and giggle i noticed a part of me tense now, yeah. oh like that's a little plaster that's a little bit like some part of me has absorbed the social cultural message that like we don't those are kind of bodily functions that we just don't really, really talk yeah, about you're not really <laughs> supposed to talk about that <laughs> else. but you're right i have a four-month-old infant in the house and and also a four-year-old you know, growing human. And yeah. it, it, and actually there is a tension for me as an adult who's trying to like help them survive this world we all cohabitate, which, which much of it is human made. And much of it, frankly, hasn't been made with any attention to the safety of tiny humans in mind. It's like, I'm so tuned into how freaking dangerous our human made world is to little people, to, mm -hmm. to little humans who are still trying to figure stuff out. But there is this line, like, you know, how much should I get on my daughter's case for picking her nose? Like, yeah. I don't like, you know, wow. Or sucking her thumb or all these little things that we like get embedded with some shame. And so then even a well-meaning adult who's trying to help their kid navigate the world is sort of helping layer on that plaster and going like, oh, you got to cover it. Sorry. You got to cover that up. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta, and it's like, oh, geez. Yeah. Well, I mean, the reality is we have to live in the world. Yeah. Right. And that we've been creating this world for a very, very, very long time now, and that none of us come through it unscathed, right? So we can, mm -hmm. we can grieve that, we can bemoan it, and I think that's potentially appropriate, but we can also get curious about it, which I think is something that the three of us are really good at. Like, what, mm -hmm. is, what does this mean, and what have I learned from this, and how, how do I be with this, right? How do I be with my brand of, of scarring? Mm -hmm. Right. I, this is, I'm really, I'm feeling a lot of energy right now in my body. This is exciting for me. And I'm going to try and build some ground for us to stand on. And then Erica, hopefully you will like kind of tap, tap it right away. But I'm sort of in touch with, um, there's an, an inevitability to the plastering process that you're naming SB. Totally. Like this is the world that we've made, that our, that our ancestors have made, not all of them by, many of them not by choice, most of them not by choice, actually, like the world built on some pretty in, intense practices of, of violence and oppression and also, but, and also possibility and, and community. There's just all of it's here. Mm -hmm. We're in it. We're born into it without choice. 
And to survive in it, we have to kind of plaster up or armor up. That That is a certain kind of inevitability. But on the other side of that, um, at some point we are mature enough or maybe that's not quite the right word, but we're developed enough, we're coherent enough that some of the armor that we're wearing or the plaster that's been given to us is actually weighing us down. And we can discover like either through, if we're lucky enough that someone kind of drops us and the cracks appear or if we're or if we're courageous enough to go somewhere that our armor is telling us not to go we can discover that quite a lot of our gold actually is is most welcome and needed in this world right now that there's something about the taking off of the plaster that is not as scary as it can feel and is also really generative and additive back into the world that we're a part of yeah and that and that's not a given that that will happen but it feels really essential and important that it does happen and that more and more people experience the okayness of that and the beauty of that. Yeah. So I I do want to kick it to Eric, but I want to add a word, which is resourced. Like I think some of us are lucky enough for whatever reason to be resourced such that we Mm. can, Mm. that we can pull away the plaster and we can let the shine because it is a vulnerability. It's Mm -hmm. a profound vulnerability. Mm. Right. And I think just to build on what you're saying, um, the the plastering was the best the best protection we had at a point right mm-hmm. and so as we gathered these resources if we're so lucky as, as to gather resources mm-hmm. right then we discovered that there are different ways to navigate safety and and all of that that doesn't mm-hmm. require us to to hide from ourselves or to withhold our unique offerings from the rest of the world right mm-hmm. Okay, great. And I, I want to put a, I definitely want to hear from Eric and I want to put a pin in and what it actually means for us to gather resources. Cause I think that connects to part of why I initially invited you all to come jam in the Wonder Dome with me. So I'm just pinning the gathering of resources. Eric, break the ground or not stand well, on it with us. Yeah. Whatever you want yeah. To do. No, I think I'll stand on it. I mean, it, uh, um, I, I, I don't know what direction this takes what you both were saying but the this i'm going to pick up the on the word shame because i think and just see brene brown you can just see her body of work (laughs) i don't really need to say anything but but uh, but i'm gonna try it is uh, i'm so i'm preparing sort of like a, a a workshop on on shame for for coaches and um Part of the reason for that is because there, there's, I think, a human tendency to avoid that or to not even name it or anything like that. And in the sort of reading I've been doing, not only Brene Brown, I have this great book called The Joy or no, uh, the the Bright Side of Shame, which is mm. all these like academic papers, people writing about shame in the workplace and shame in education system and shame in you know the context of therapy and coaching and things like this and it, it's really really interesting um and just like shame is the doorway <laughs> like if we hmm. ignore it we like we ignore the possibility of getting to the goal hmm. i mean hmm. it's just and it's it's pretty universal certainly in the the people that I've worked with and and most people don't come into coaching going well I'm ashamed and I've got some you know they don't know about the plaster and they don't know about Mm. the gold certainly Mm. and so to learn as coaches how to like listen for what is what shame actually sounds like and what it looks like and how it shows up in the body and the way people hold themselves and they speak and all of this I think are really critical skills. And not only for coaches, I think it would just be useful for everybody to sort of know that. And of course, to apply that in some way to themselves and hopefully be in a relationship where that shame is seen, known, understood, accepted, you know, held Mm. until Mm. a little bit. But I really Mm. think that's, that's, yeah, deeply important in this kind of work. And I mean, to your point, Andy, I agree I have um, seen again and again that like people want the gold, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, 
we, we speak plaster, but we won't. Mm, <laughs> we mm. um, and, and when it's really given or shown or offered or something, um, it's, it's, yeah, it's prized by people. Yeah. It's and, funny, this random thread, this is a total throwaway, but I'm incapable of not naming it. There's all this. <laughs> It, it, this is way complicated. There's all this criticism of Prince Harry right now of like, you know, airing the dirty laundry of the Royal family or whatever, but he's really talking about a legacy of shame that he feels in a secrecy, you know, mm. that may mm. well have some kind of importance. I don't really know, but for him personally, it seems like there's all this just, it's shame. And you start to see this thing happen, like in the news media where they're like, way to go, Harry, way to go. It's a little much, you know, and, and there's a, <laughs> at some point th- th- it's the tide in the last even few days. Now the book is released today, but in the last few days has started to be like, mm, okay, we're, we're done. We're, we're, we've reached our limit of you're telling these things. It's, it's so just interesting how that plays mm-hmm. out in the mm-hmm. world as well. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, the, I'm actually. It doesn't feel like a throwaway. There's there's a both end in that and the naming of that. On the one hand, you said we all want the golds, and and that feels true. And if we're gonna if we're gonna play with this metaphor a bit more, there's also a a, a risk or a danger there that that we get seduced by other people telling us what the gold. This is the gold. Oh, go like, and, and no one's saying really like in the kind of, uh, it's hard to even like, but I'll I'll call it popular culture for lack of a better kind of like in the collective culture. Uh, although there are wonderful pockets like Brene Brown's communities where you can like listen to, or, you know, Oprah, whoever you can listen to people talk about the kind of stuff we're talking about writ large. The message seems to me to be like, oh, the gold is out there somewhere and you need to go get it. Mm-hmm. And what we're saying really clearly, we're trying to say is, no, the gold, you already are the gold. And to the extent that you can access it, you access it through this doorway of shame, which can feel really scary to go towards or uncomfortable or squeamish. And so then as people do that work, more people do that work publicly, those of us who are still squeamish by it are going to be like, no, that's too much. That's an overshare. That's that's uncomfortable. That's wrong. That's not appropriate. That's not professional. That's not loyal. You're not being like, we can, we can start shaming the person for Mm -hmm. going towards the, the gold and that uh, plaster up again, plaster it up Mm -hmm. again. So there's this sort of, it's just really important to see that as we move towards our gold, that will make people around us uncomfortable. Not everyone. Other people will be enlivened by it, by the shine and the gleam and, and the authenticity of it. But it is a, it's a hard thing collectively for us to create space for each other to do that. Absolutely. Ah. So I'll, go ahead, please. No, no, you, Eric. There's, um, yeah, I mean, I think to maybe bring in another element. I mean, there is something about like, mm, and I, so I have a, studied writing for a long time and, and read nonfiction. So a lot of memoir and there's a big conversation sort of in the memoir about are, are just telling secrets or airing laundry or doing, it's always a conversation. And I do think that there's, there's something about revealing the shamed part of ourselves, like in in the context of relationship or an intimate relationship instead of just publicly. Mm. Right. So this is something that I struggle with because I'm sort of comfortable and I can play the, like I can play vulnerable because Mm. I know the kind of things that people aren't supposed to say. And then I just say them. It's a pretty easy formula, but it's just as much plaster. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. Anything else? So it's a little bit of a, a trick that can be played, and what th- that's when I get drunk on that, I like I can go for a long time before anyone like SB would be a good person in my life would be like you're full of shit, mm. right? Like that might be able to cut cut through that and just like because. Mm, 
she's pretty sensitive to inauthenticity and it's like yeah so it's interesting when authentic or, or inauthentic can start to look like authentic mm. does that make sense mm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah this is this is the subtlety this is the paradox and complexity of all this yeah and so I see, what's what's coming up about, for you as you hear that yeah there's something for me about the difference between authenticity and transparency and discernment right that we what <clears throat> and what came up for me also was about where people are comfortable right so we tend to be more comfortable if people are sharing from scars rather than wounds mm. right we tend to be more comfortable when it's like yeah you know this terrible thing happened but look at me now i'm so healed and mm. let me give you the the five reasons that was ultimately a good thing that happened in my life and i learned so much and look at me i'm so resilient and strong right and those those might be true after a while right but to your point eric it's it's um it's a way of shaping the story to make it palatable Mm. right mm. so we can share the the story but when we come at it from like here's my ragged edge right and here's you know let me show you let me show you this this bleeding gooey wound right like most people can't hang with that mm. and i think that 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 does lead if we lack discernment right if we personalize it if we et cetera, et cetera, right then that does add to the plaster and it does add to the shame mm. Mm. Yeah. yeah i'm in touch with uh two things let me see which of or maybe both i want to say because that feels what we're leaning into feels really important as a reminder of where we started there's no answer right like we can (laughs) sit here we're starting to build this ground and the ground is that that shame is a doorway to, to beauty to to wholeness to selfhood and we're kind of puncturing our own ground by also going you can also perform shame and vulnerability. You can use it in a way, even if you're not consciously trying to do this in a way that um, builds you up, that makes you look stronger, mm-hmm. that uh, that seduces other people or that that shames someone else because you're actually airing laundry publicly that's hurtful that you haven't worked yet properly with yourself or with that other person who you're now kind of bringing into the light. So there's all of these because we are inherently vulnerable and at risk by being alive, if you're alive, you can die. We ha- there's there's the beauty and courage of taking the risk, and there's also the beauty and terror that the risk might might you might fall flat, you might get hurt some more, you might hurt someone else some more. So I want to kind of like name that as like a it's a it's a really important caution that this is there's a difference between just taking care of yourself versus performing, taking care of yourself. Uh, and that, that can be a very hard line to discern. So I want to like underline what you've named there, SB. And I think the, then I want to, the second thing I want to name, which builds on that is, and this is the difference between authenticity and transparency that you were talking about SB, which is you as any one of us can do this work with ourselves, perhaps with a trusted guide or companion, or perhaps on our own, if we have, resources to do that, that does not require, uh, in general, an ounce of public awareness. There's a way in which that, maybe let me put this another way. I have worked with myself and with clients to go towards things that are really scary or feel really scary to discover some knowledge or wisdom or insight that's hidden there. And there's no like addendum that says, now you have to go talk about that with everyone. Yeah. It's like, actually, you can just do that work and let it live in your body and in your heart and your mind. And you, you'll you walk differently. You'll stand differently than you could before because you're less weighed down. You're less, the injury is starting to heal, whatever whatever metaphor you want to use. And, and that's enough. And that's the most, and actually, not only is it enough, that's the most important piece of what we're talking about, I think. Espy, did I I shared the Spalding Gray quote with you just last week, didn't I? I think so. Go forth. I think so. It, it just this um, Spalding Gray, uh, I don't know, monologist, is that how you say it? Um, who, yeah, things didn't end well for him, but he was famously publicly anxious. Like that was like his thing, basically, is to sort of sit at a table with a microphone, do these monologues kind of impromptu uh, and just sort of give voice to his 
anxiety in a lot of ways, but he said a lot of wise things, one of which was, uh, I want to live a life, not tell it. And it's just this really poignant moment in one of his monologues. And uh, that just, it just still rings for me, you mm. know, when I hear that. And, and, and that's something in my own life has been, I think that's why I was probably talking about this a minute ago is like, can I just transform without, you know, the press release? <laughs> so far the answer is no <laughs> literally the first day i ever went to any counseling therapy or something the first words out of my mouth in response to the question what do you want and I said i want to be able to keep a secret and this is what i meant Mm. Not like I was gossipy. I was like, I want to be able to just hold something for myself. And I think it's bound mm. up in shame and, and all of that. Uh, and then to submit something that we can maybe pick up on later too. It's like in the story to subvert, you know, the, the direction that we're going with this, starting with the golden Buddha story. Um, thank God for the plaster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yes. God, that's such an important part. Thank you for that. Mm, mm. Yeah, that 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 uh, uh, maybe this is the moment to circle to this gathering of resources that you spoke to earlier, SP. The plaster, when we gather it, is a form of resource. Absolutely. Now, now at some point, perhaps it becomes a burden or it's hiding something that would be more resourced. But it is part of our gathering, like to to be able to walk and relative safely through the world safety through the world is a kind of resource and a privilege and you can't do that without some plaster i think i'm sorry Um, go go yeah well there's something that gosh i'm so happy to be having this conversation with you too um there's something for me coming back to that idea of discernment of whether whether the the plaster is making the decision, so to speak, or whether we're being discerning about it. Right. Mm, mm, um, mm. And, and, you know, is, um, yeah, I'll pause there. Mm, mm. Well, that, that pause invites me into this inquiry around what does it mean for us as we continue? A lot of this plaster we got when we were little based on our caretaker's well-intentioned or not so well-intentioned efforts to look after us, uh, successful or unsuccessful, whatever, you know, kind of way we want to frame it. Like we're, we grow up around adults who are imperfect people who have their own plaster and their own issues and the old, their own blind spots. And we inherit that and we inherit stuff from our culture writ large. And we have our own experiences of beauty and joy and fear and harm. And like, so we're just, just happening to us before we yet have a place to stand where we can look at it all and make some discerning choices. But at some point we arrive into uh, a phase in our life where we can, if we have the desire and the means and the space, we can stop and step back and look at ourselves and our life and look at who we are and start to make some choices about, is that who I want to keep being or what do I want to learn next? Or how do I want to grow? And, and this to me um, seems to be the a moment where we can consciously start to make some choices about these are resources I want in my life, along with whatever other resources we've inherited. Because it's not like we just get a bunch of shit from our culture and and then we got to get rid of all. We get we get both gifts and burdens. So that's part of the discernment too. What do I want to let go of? What do I want to keep? But also what I what do I want to what new or deeper do I want to draw in? And, and that connects to why I reached out to both of you, because a year or so ago, you did this program for folks like us called Taproot, where you're like, hey, look, uh, caretaking professionals, coaching professionals, you might know a way of doing your thing that looks like X, Y, and Z, and great, do it your way. And if you stop there, you're missing a ton of awesome, awesome texture and depth. And you call the program Taproot. And, and although I didn't participate in it, I saw it. And what I what I made of it was the sense of like, bring in poetry, bring in music, bring in 
and your your body and movement and dance and literature and memoir and like just let yourself drink from the well of human experience so that you can show up more fully human to your work and help your clients do the same. And that felt to me like an, an invitation to gather resource and to claim resource. So I'd love to hear SB, I'd love to hear you talk about, you know, I'm, I'm sort of saying a lot here, but you can endorse whatever you want or say and, and what you want to say about this, this work of gathering resource so that when the time comes, if we want to, we can set down the plaster or wear it in a way that feels true for us. Mm. Yeah, you capture it so well. And as did Eric, when when, when we were um, shaping Taproot to the extent that we shaped it, which was a really amorphous sort of blobby, loose edged shape. Um, uh, Eric, you said something about that what we brought to the table of Taproot, the materials that we brought to the table were the fire around which we would dance. Mm-hmm. And that was exactly what it was like. We would watch a movie as a group, I mean, individually, and then we would come together and we would dance around that movie. And sometimes the movie was relevant to the conversation. Sometimes it was a springboard. And it was true for each of the meetings and each of the pieces of media. And the idea was just to see how we might stir humanness, right? And how we might stir wholeness. And what that means for, to your point, Andy, I mean, you captured it really well, accessing more more of all of that so that we can bring it to the table. You know, what, what what comes to mind for me and like no disrespect to everybody who wears khakis and logo shirts in their lives. Like there is something really to be said for that uniform if it's you, but it's not me. Um, and at the beginning of my career, I spent a lot of time in khakis and logo shirts because I thought that's what a professional was supposed to look like. Mm. And I think mm. one of the things we've been dancing around in this conversation is that the a sort of, um, the, the, you know, was sort of demonstrated for me in my own life by this, my, my movement away from khakis, <laughs> which is, <laughs> which is at the more, era. I, right, in my, in my post khaki life, um, my post khaki, more tattoos, more visible life, um, has been, has been recognizing and experiencing what I think of as a courage confidence cycle, which mm-hmm. is that the, mm-hmm. the more courageously I've stepped more fully into my own wholeness. Um, the more confidence that I've I've had to share of myself and what I've received and what's fueled that cycle is recognizing that the people who who grok that really grok it and that there's that interplay between um, my courage and their response has allowed me to give them more. Mm-hmm. Right, and so mm-hmm. I think that that's sort of um, an, an unspoken thing built into Taproot. Is this, am I getting anywhere with this, Eric? Is this resonant at all with you? He's like, yeah. <laughs> so no, no one can see. No one will see. There is still this here silence in response to SU's questions. I guess Eric's not feeling that, but Eric's actually smiling like, uh, you know, like the 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 wise fool that he is. So. <laughs> um, yeah. The. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't have anything in particular to add. I have just th- this image a little bit, like, you know, SB and I sort of cart our, this is maybe an alternative to the fire, dancing around the fire image, but like we're carting our sort of, you know, resources, you know, to the to the space. And then like, we kind of have it there. And then we're just like, well, actually, that's it's a little bit of a different image. I think that's a good way, maybe, of talking about something. I think SBI both do in our work and uh, and maybe in our our lives too. Uh, is yeah, carry around these sacks of of experience of conversation about that movie and about this stand up comedian over here and this thing over here and this and Taylor Swift song and this you know whatever <laughs> and just to have all of that at the ready, mm. you never know when what gift is going to be needed mm. in a given conversation. And I love, I think we're we have these amazing brains that are associative and make connections. That's what they're designed to do. And um to be able to I think that's one thing I by default or practice have have done in my life is just sort of paid attention to like, Oh, I don't know why this lyric or whatever might 
be coming up right now, but I'm going to toss it into the mix. Mm. And I don't mm. really care if we'll pick up on it or something, but I don't know. And Andy, to your kind of meditation before we begin, it's like, you don't know where, where something's going to ripple. And like, I, I just want to be the person who puts, puts the thing into the, mm. into the space. I don't have to force it or anything. Just, what do you think about this? And I think talking about, the movie we watched big fish that movie and I, I don't even know where that came from i was like let's watch big fish and like i don't know and it just was this beautiful rich conversation and we formulated um i think th this kind of speaks to the ethos of taproot a little bit like we formulated what we ended up calling the taproot question and the, i mean the taproot question is just and given all of this, you know, the whole conversation, the movie, the way that this conversation has gone, the shares that it's inspired in people, all that, given all of that, how might this inform your work mm. with clients in this case, which, mm. which mm. is audience? Uh, and people, it was just the most remarkable things that people invented on the spot. You know, That's and so beautiful. who knows where that goes after the conversation, but gosh, is it fun to be witness to something that's being brewed right there. Yeah. Mm. I read a book about um, maybe a decade or so ago. Honestly, like anything past a year or two in my chronology gets pretty hazy, but let's call it a decade. Um, it, it was this really short, sweet, kind of very New England book. I live in Massachusetts. It's a book called Tinker. I believe I can't remember the author's name, although I'll find it. I'll find it if I can. Not like Tinker Bell, but like Tinker. The, there were tinkerers or tinkers who traveled around New England and like had like a cart with like tools and supplies. And if you needed like your cast iron pot fix or or your wood stove was having an issue or your horse saddle had broken or whatever the kind of thing, there were these people who would just show up pretty, you know, within a certain season at a certain time, you kind of, and you'd get word of mouth that they were coming because they had just passed through the last village down the road. And I like that image you described of the person carrying their gear. That's it. Like there's a kind of quality of being a, a tinkerer where you can just show up and you have some stuff that people might need. And if they need it, they'll come and they'll get your help and they'll move on. And now I might be making this up, but like, I think this is part of the book or in some way, part of the book, the tinker takes on an apprentice, right? Like there are some people who are like, Oh, Oh, I see. I don't want to just fix my pot. I want to know how to help people fix. I want to know how to bring whatever it is I can bring to, to the world. And I'm not going to do that unless I actually leave my village and go out and ride with you and travel with you and explore with you. And so there's sort of an invitation in the moment to say like, and given all of that, now what are you going to go do? I'm going to go back that way and do a thing. Great. But some people say, given all that, I'm going to, I actually want to keep doing what you're, I want to travel with you. I'm not, the journey's not over yet. And just really like moved by that as a way of being in the world. Andy, you have said so much more than <laughs> any idea. So you might've noticed our reaction. I did. Yeah. Both of you are like, I'm going to really let I want to see what SB comes up with. Okay. All right. Yeah. Oh, I, I didn't want to interrupt myself because I felt like I was ripping, but I saw both of you oh. like having oh, a response. Brilliant. I, okay. Can I kick it back to you, Eric? Because I'm just so curious right now. Oh. Well, I mean, I feel like I need to give context. I don't even know where to begin. So. Uh, outside of our kind of relationship as colleagues, uh, SB and I sort of gather together with a group of other people monthly to sort of take up mm, spiritual concerns, like just to have that's the fire that we're dancing around. What's the name of this group, Andy, do you suppose? Oh, gosh. The tinkers or the tinkerers? <laughs> wow. And wow. you just get in not knowing that and speaking about what it is. You've one reaffirmed like, yeah, that's the right name for the group, which SB <laughs> ultimately named. Uh, 
but you've just deepened and enlivened my understanding of what we mm. what we're doing. Mm. 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 So the, the the spirit of of the name of the tinkerers is so in alignment. Um, it's it was really a response to like the seriousness that we bring, and it takes us all the way back to the beginning of this conversation and foolishness, right? Like the the seriousness of spirituality and the seriousness of becoming and exploring and what is this wound and how do what's the up with this plaster and how do I get more of the gold out there and oh my god, this is so scary and all of that. And what if we treated it as tinkering, mm. right? Little experiments. Mm moments of curiosity mm. playfulness mm. right what if we yeah what if we could treat it with a little bit of of lightness and delight instead of it always being work mm. 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 sounds like a beautiful beautiful group and a beautiful fire to dance around there's now now i'm 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 i risk a part of me is like oh, don't do this sandy but i'm like because it's but uh, like I'm risking entering into like sort of, uh, you know, this this is often used very disparaging, like woo woo territory. But but I but I want to just just enter it because why the hell not? And who better to enter it with than you two? There's something, for lack of a better word, kind of mystical about the ways in which you, you talked about our associative brains, Eric. Like. <laughs> And often, because of the professional or personal roles we're asked to fill in our lives, we're, this is another form of kind of plastering or repressing or leave it leave it at the door, please, of like, you're, there's some sort of implicit inherited, we're supposed to do a thing a certain way, so just do it that way. And like, don't listen to whatever other voices you hear or images you get, just do the thing, please, right? Like that is that, that's a kind of common professional experience that I think a lot of people have. And I feel really lucky that I've created spaces in my life, like you talked about SB work and kind of leave the uniform at the door and be like, F that, I'm just going to do whatever happens, right? So just, we could stop there and that would be an invitation to anyone listening. What if you lived your life 10% more open to like leaving the uniform at the door or just trying it out for a little bit? Mm -hmm. But if we go a step further, there's just something magic about, I read that book a decade plus ago. I can't even remember the name of the author. As you're talking, suddenly I can see the cover of this book just like floating in my awareness, almost as if it's just behind me. And I'm just like, okay. And, and I could easily just let like, there's a choice to make. I could just let that image be and it could be mine and useful as a way of understanding you. Or like you said, I could drop the image in the space and see what happens. And, and, and lo and behold, I drop the image in the space and you two are like, grinning like crazy <laughs> and like jumping out of your seat. And I'm like, all right, I'm saying something good here. Let me finish. Stop, stop it. I got to, but actually like I'm watching you react and, and there's something magic in that. Like, you know, there's a way in which we are preparing ourselves without knowing it for these magical moments by being widening and deepening our receptivity to what, what happens in life. Exactly. And, and I just like, whatever, I don't know what that is. And I just, but I think it's mystical and magical and cool that we have that we as a species have this capacity to, to, to connect with each other. We're talking verbally, but something's happening subverbally on the level of image of bodily experience that we can then name and share with each other. And that's pretty fucking cool and kind of magical. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But that is taproot. That is, that was, I think you just captured it in such a, a beautiful way. And it's also been my experience of coaching in particular. And God, Eric, something that I've been learning from you and, and more and more so over time, which is um, I have a long part of my plaster involves um, hiding in plain sight. I am damn good at it. Mm, right. Mm, mm. Um and it was really, really useful to me at a time in my life. It was really important to <clears throat> emotional safety at a time in my life and something that you've been working real hard, I think, Eric, to teach me <laughs> and to help me learn or give me the opportunity to learn is, is that I don't need it anymore. And that, in fact, it's it's prohibitive, right? And, and that the taproot is one of the many invitations to show up. Hmm. Hmm. I just had an idea. So, because Zoom is a good place to curate, like, this yeah. is plaster to yeah. some degree. What I'm doing is just outlining the frame of my frame. 
So I want you both to do this. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What are we not seeing? And I want you to say something about what you. Oh, the dinosaur! Come on. <laughs> I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to kind of. Oh, actually, I guess I can turn. Let's see what I'm turn here. So, oh yeah, music. Look at how much just got revealed. Yeah. We're all turning our cameras to new angles here, for those who won't see this. <laughs> I think the only thing you learned about me is I have more, more books, yeah, more, than, books. <laughs> more books, than, which is, you know, now that's the dominant thing in the frame, yeah. which is mm, my head for better and for worse. Yeah. Only for better. And the plant is <laughs> that's fake. Oh. Because I can't keep a plant alive and I'm not. <laughs> yeah. And that is creamed corn. That was, <laughs> it says the word niblets on it and my wife and i have a joke about niblets i don't know where it comes from so i bought a can of corn when i said the word niblets so there you go so i'm curious if either of you would share about what was hiding in plain sight oh mm. yeah mm. yeah I'll, I'll go. So, uh, um, yeah, I, I have a, a fixation for reasons I can't really explain on little toy dinosaurs. And so my wife routinely puts dinosaurs in my stocking. I'm Jewish. She's Christian. We have Hanumas. And so nice. I have, I, I have a new dinosaur, but the new dinosaur is living in a different spot. And this amuses me to no end because every once in a while they show up in the corner of my screen and I'm always curious which of my clients notice it. Um, and then and then I have this row of sort of curated reminders to myself, and I'm careful to keep them a little bit sparse, right? Because these kinds of reminders can become invisible, right? And so the first one is a love note from my wife, mm. right? Um, and these are mostly from her, though. This one's these notes. This note is from my mother, mm. right? So surrounding myself really actively with that love. This one is a sticky note with my values on it. Not that I don't know my values. Of course, I, I can riff about them right now without looking at this, but having them posted where my eye catches them. Um, oh, and this is a taproot note. So this is a game that Eric and I were playing from, we read Being Mortal by Atul Gawande. And there was oh, yeah. this line that was one syllable off of a haiku. Do you remember this, Eric? And we were texting about which syllable do you take out? And we took out different syllables. So I came up with one has to decide whether one's fears or one one's hopes are what matter most. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And mm. okay, the last thing I'll share is this note that I'm just reading to myself again. That is a thought that I have rediscovered recently and only now I'm realizing is a rediscovery, which the note says, what if my job was to help clients someday die well? Oof. Oof. Yeah. Full shivers. Yeah. Mm. I mean, that's no niblets, you know. Uh, it is not boring, niblets. But it's pretty, pretty <laughs> but it's dope. I... <laughs> <Pretty> dope. <laughs> what about you, you Andy? Oh, what go do ahead. You got? Yeah, so I love, I'm enjoying that, like, I'm kind of half on camera. I sort of, like, can choose to lean into the camera and be with you, or I can just, like, I can just kind of disappear myself, except for my shoulder. Um, and you can see, well, what I see is a downstairs of a home that I live in that is that is, uh, we just haven't spent much time kind of actually setting up in a way that feels like lived in. It's sort of my office. It's sort of our TV room. It's sort of a playroom. It's sort of a music room. It's a bit of everything. And uh, that's both beautiful and messy. Like, you know, there are just toys on the ground that most people don't ever see when they're on camera because I just turn my camera so you can't see the mess. But I'm not going to clean it up because I know like some point later today, the kids will be down here playing. And I know at some point later today, I'll be back here uh, on a, in a meeting or a coaching call. So there's this kind of like uh, quality of like it just enough to be what it needs to be when I need it to be it. And uh, that can sometimes feel frustrating because parts of me want it to be neater or nicer or more fun for the kids or more professional for my work. But it just, this is what it is right now. It's the space where things happen. And uh, sometimes it requires me to be kind of front and center. And other times it requires me to just kind of go off camera and let, and let the kids play. And maybe I'm watching there with them or maybe I'm not. And, and it's all good. 
Ah, good experiment, Eric. That was fun. <laughs> it was a really nice idea. And it strikes me, you know, that if, if you're listening, as long as you're like, well, maybe even if you're in your car, like there's like, there's a version of this invitation for you right now, if you're hearing this, like if you're driving somewhere, what if you took a different route? Or if you're going into a meeting that you always show up in a certain way, what if you changed one thing about how you show up, what you're wearing or what's in the background or what you ask, like what you might ask in that question, that meeting or what you might say, like there's a quality of gathering resource through experiment. We don't know what we're going to get until we try something different. And it's really easy to just sit in the same spot and look in the same way and feel in the same way, but it doesn't require a lot to, to nudge ourselves into new possibilities. Just a, just a little shift of perspective can open up all sorts of new lines of inquiry and possibility. So thank you for that, Eric. That was really fun. Thank you for playing. <laughs> we've we've arrived at our time boundary almost like perfectly. Uh, so that experiment <laughs> was perhaps the way for us to complete and close. But I'll I'll, I'll give you each a moment of a, a, a chance to say if there's as we close today, is there anything else that you feel called to speak to or or uh put on put in in the fire for others to dance around as they hear this conversation. I think I'd like to highlight that last thing you just said Andy because to me it's one of the most important things um living these messy human lives which is to allow ourselves experimentation right to, and ideally not even just to allow ourselves but to delight in that we get to whatever the experiments might look like right and to me the the core of an experiment is that we don't know the outcome and that when we gather the data whatever it may be we get to then decide if we're going to run the experiment again but with a tweak mm. right mm. and i feel like that's also the nature of of tinkering yeah yeah, yeah. thanks be. i've been thinking a lot about how or this is the way i'm making sense of it is like like we we make, I think, like, I don't know, I'll say it messy. Like, we make, I think we can make new meaning out of experiences that that bring feeling and bring emotion up. Like, that's how we know something's right to have meaning made of it is like, oh, we feel something mm. about it. And I think when we're in the, we're in the normal frame that we have, which is, probably necessary um, for a lot of different reasons. It, it's not impossible, but it makes it difficult to sort of have a new experience or um, feel a new thing or something like that. But if we just tilt the screen, I think what we're opening up to is that we are going to, and making ourselves vulnerable to a different experience, maybe not even scary, but maybe just, it's a little inconvenient to feel, mm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like living our life in the, in the sort of frame, it's a little inconvenient. So it's a little bit vulnerable to do that. But the, the goal, the, the gift that we, there is that we get to have something new and then we get to sort of make some experience with it. And so I'm, I'm leaving here feeling quite full and hardened by the conversation. And I'm sort of visually imagining like the golden buddha some people dancing around a fire or turning our screens like the the sort of highlights reel of this past hour <laughs> and you know with the music overlaid and you know like there's andy laughing and <laughs> you know all of that and 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 just kind of oh it's a it, it's a we've just made a beautiful raw lump of clay we can make some meaning mm. each mm. of us differently or, mm. or collectively and it's just yeah why not that Mm -hmm. why not that it makes me want to say one more thing which is in a way you've just just sort of articulated the mission of the wonder dome if it has a mission which is to help people shift their frame to say Mm -hmm. why not that to walk through their lives my hope is that anyone who hears this wherever they are their frame gets shifted by you know a degree and in that shift, they see something they couldn't see before and are invited to laugh more or love more or meet a part of themselves that they've been afraid to meet or whatever it is that that shift in a single degree. Like if you started out in LA to, to sail to Hawaii in a straight line and you were off at the beginning by one degree, you'd end up a thousand miles away from Hawaii. 
And that could feel like a failure if you really wanted to get to Hawaii, but maybe you end up at another chain of islands that are totally new to you and that you didn't know existed. And so there's something about a single de- single shift in one degree that opens up possibilities. And, and you've just like, you've just made that, you've just applied that in real time for us. So thank you both. This was exactly like I said, I wanted to have fun. I had a lot of fun today. <laughs> it happened, we succeeded. I, I, it seems like you did too. I'm really grateful to both of you. I hope we can jam together again in whatever other ways life allows us to or presents us. And yeah, this has been really sweet. Thank you both. It's been a whole lot of fun. Thank you for, for what you put into the world and for inviting us to play. Thanks for tuning in to the Wonder Dome. This podcast was produced by me, Andy Cahill, with support from Kelly Serqua and audio editing services from John Nolan at Middle Mountain Studios. The theme song was written and performed by Todd Marston. You can find the Wonder Dome wherever pods are casted. If you dig what we're doing here, please share widely, subscribe, and give us some love in the review boards. And if you feel called to support this humble offering to the world, while also making an even greater impact in the lives of others, consider becoming a monthly supporter. Not only will you help me keep the lights on, and keep this show going for as long as I'm able. But 30% of all member contributions go directly in support of causes like the Black Lives Matter movement, the United Nations Refugee Agency, and the National Resources Defense Council. You can find out more at my website, mindfulcreative.coach, where you can also sign up for my newsletter, learn about my transformational coaching work, and get plugged into exclusive offers and community happenings. In the meantime, I'm wishing you a life of purpose, power, and presence. We need you now, more than ever.